They have smaller droids in this universe. We've seen them. Maybe they don't care on the lower levels. <laughs> babada babada. <laughs> I'm Mark Farinas, professional illustrator and animator, and I'm a total jerk. And I'm Ryan Thomas-Riddle, screenwriter and award-winning journalist, and I, too, am a jerk. And together we crew a ship full of jerks, a podcast about sci-fi and pop culture. Today we're at the penultimate episode of Star Trek Picard, as all good things must, well, you know. Then it's the retaking of Mandalore. Finally, we have a special guest joining Mark on what we're fanning over this week. Okay, humble brag time. I've been saying it for weeks now on the podcast and on Twitter, and I have been proven right. The Enterprise D is back, fully restored to her TNG glory. Okay, I guess that's not so much of a humble brag. (laughs) And you have total room to brag, Ryan, because you were the first person that I know of to come up with this prediction, and uh, everybody else has just been following suit without giving you much credit for it. It's 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 fine. I don't need the credit. I know I was right. <laughs> <laughs> that is credit enough. And I was right about the Eremotic syndrome being a red herring and that it had something to do with the Borg. But I have to admit when I'm wrong, I was wrong last week when I speculated that the changelings wanted it for a new great link. Oh, well, win some, lose some. Kobayashi Maru and all that stuff. I'm not necessarily sure that you're wrong because we still don't know why the Borg and the Changelings are working together. Uh, There's no clear reason for this pairing at all. To destroy the Federation! (laughs) I guess guess that's as good a reason as any. (laughs) They're just just a legion of doom. Well, the Borg Queen is bald. The Legion of Doom was led by Lex Luthor, who is bald. Yeah, the parallels match. (laughs) (laughs) It was great seeing Shelby again, but damn, she didn't last very long. Although I love that Riker Picard called out the irony of her being a proponent of networking Starfleet ships. You'd think she'd be like Commander Adama. Oh, wait, there's another Galactica parallel. Only an old analog ship can defeat the enemy. Yeah, there's been a lot of Battlestar Galactica analogies going on in this one. Yes. The changelings have evolved. The Cylons have evolved. Networking of ships. Old battleship has to be hauled out to help defeat the enemy. Shelby is literally one of my favorite guest characters ever. I know you love her too, Ryan. In fact, you and I have discussed how Next Generation might have been a more interesting show if Picard had been killed off in Best of Both Worlds and Riker was made captain with Shelby's XO. Definitely. There'd be a little more tension between the captain and the XO. I would sense more fighting than collaboration. I don't think Shelby would be as congenial as Riker was to Picard. And I think there would be a lot more of the... I'm going to beam down. No, you're not. I'm the first officer. You're the captain now. Type of arguments that we were sort of promised an encounter in Farpoint, but really never happened because Riker's like, okay, just don't die. And it would fix something confusing about this show, which is Riker never becoming captain. It made sense in the original concept where this ship is going to be out on the frontier for 20 years and not coming back. 
but Riker kept being asked to sit in the center seat and he kept refusing it and it made zero sense. So finally having him as captain would have been something. And I know people like to 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 say, you know, Starfleet isn't a military and that's true. It's it's a different kind of military evolved from what we know as a military, but it's still pseudo military. And Riker turning down command after command would have killed his career, to be honest. He would have just been stuck at commander, and that would have been the end of his career. And also, having Riker be captain also fulfills the promise of the character, his arc. And so for Riker to still be first officer after best of both worlds, I felt undercut the character of Riker, even though I was grateful to have Jonathan Frakes for four more years. Well, seeing Shelby again, live this time, was unbelievable. I was literally the shaking, crying, throwing up insane meme when she came on as captain of the Enterprise F. And then she basically gave a sales pitch for networked spaceships and died. <laughs> it's like she became the, the uh, sales pitch from uh, Arsenal of Freedom. <laughs> I bet the lower deck staff is having a fit right now because they brought her back initially and who knows what plan they may have had for her. Also, what is with this show killing off all the badass women who guest starred on Next Generation? Pulaski is next in the finale. Pulaski was one of the ships, so <laughs> I'm shocked that they didn't blow that one up instead of the Excelsior with this show's track record. Hey, but at least Pulaski got a ship named after her. Does that mean that she's dead? Possibly. Because <laughs> Diana Muldoor is still with us. Yeah. As far as I know. I haven't checked Twitter lately. <laughs> I think she's still with us. I don't I... think she fell down any elevator shafts. Not, a, not recently. Not that I know of. I think it would be on TMZ if she did. One death that really bummed me out was Shaw's. I mean, it was a hell of a death scene. And it stung because I really had grown to like the character. I love Todd Stashwick a great deal. He has that great curmudgeon energy in his performance as Shaw. It's like what I said, uh, on, I think I said it on Twitter. Shaw is basically Bones' as captain, who just is like, damn it, I don't want to do it again. Um, but that moment when he hands the ship over to Seven, that's a damn fine moment for both Shaw and Seven. His death if he really is dead, was certainly an excuse to get Seven and Raffi to stay behind so we could get that shot of just the original next-gen cast members alone on the bridge. Yeah, but that was worth it for me. I won't lie. I was filled with warmth and nostalgia at seeing the Enterprise-D, especially the recreated bridge. I look forward to the behind-the-scenes segment on how Dave Blass and his excellent team built it. While I'm at it, I want to give a shout out to the production design team. I've been loving all the 25th century sets and designs, but damn, was it good to see some mid-24th century design again. Carpets included. Oh, and the beige. I love the beige. <laughs> I just wish that we'd gotten to this point sooner. Yeah. And I think we'll talk about that maybe next week after the show ends. But man, it's been a grind getting to this moment that I think we all really wanted. Well, I know for me in the finale, my only prediction is, well, it's not even a prediction, it's a wish, that the Enterprise-D better survive <laughs> so we can see it again. 
Now, Ryan, I've actually known since episode two that the Borg were coming back. As many early viewers know, when Jack first sees the red door, the captions initially said the voice belonged to Borg Queen. I just didn't want to spoil it for you and everyone else who missed it. I'm not terribly excited about this turn of events. The Borg got a whole movie dedicated to them, and the first two seasons of Picard centered on them in one way or another. It's kind of like Daleks and Doctor Who. It's just not a surprise when they show up in the finale anymore. <laughs> oh, those darn Daleks again. <laughs> I also haven't been big on Borg stories since their concept was radically changed in First Contact. The Borg didn't assimilate people until that film. I know a lot of nerds' heads are exploding right now, but the Borg originally just cared about technology, not people. That's why you could go on a Borg ship and never be noticed. And in that episode that they're introduced, Q Who, it is very clear that the Borg's only agenda is to consume as much technology as it can. And they don't take people. That was the big surprise when they took Picard. They made their own babies. We saw the nursery. They were Borgifying babies at birth. So when they took Picard, that was like a big like, well, this is a little different. Why are they doing this? Yeah, and Picard's assimilation was a difficult multi-step process, not a regular occurrence. If you think about it, actually, Iborg makes no sense at all if Hugh is an assimilated individual. His sense of self would have just been a return to normalcy, like Picard's was. I really think a hierarchy-free commune of consistently improving and evolving cyborgs was a much more original and alien concept than a zombie beehive. And speaking of Doctor Who, that's exactly what the Cybermen are. Yeah, when they were introduced, it was acknowledged that the population on Mondas had started using cybernetics to replace limbs and organs, and that gave rise to the birth of the Cybermen. It was only in later ones that they started taking whole bodies, much like the Borg. We've been talking a lot about how Picard doesn't seem like the Picard we know from TNG. And yes, the passage of time changes us all. I won't deny that. But the moment Picard steps foot on the Enterprise-D bridge, sits in his chair and says, engage, we know he's back. There's a presence that Picard seems to have on that bridge now that has been missing throughout the series. And I have mostly praise for Vox. You know, I do like the Borg as being a credible threat. I agree with you, Mark, that they're a little overused and it is, oh, here they are again. Gosh darn Borg. Uh, and I'm not so sanguine on that it's merely a revenge thing between them and the changelings, but that has more to do with me being burnt the hell out on the vengeance trope in Trek. But if there was one little nit I had, I wanted to see a close-up of Beverly when Jack is walking away. Because the more and more I think about it, Beverly is one of the strongest characters in Star Trek. She's survived so much loss in her life and yet continues to be empathetic and compassionate. It hasn't bittered her. Same with Troy, and that might make them one of the best embodiments of Star Trek's philosophy. I'm not going to offer up a prediction for the finale, other than I want the Enterprise to survive. 
Well, I do have one final prediction for the finale. This situation the writers have set up looks even more insurmountable than it seemed two weeks ago. They've got an hour or so left to wrap things up, including explaining to us why the changelings would team up with the Borg. I'm at a loss for that right now. And the refurbished Enterprise-D is zooming back to Earth to fight yet another big fleet of ships with no plan of action. But Jack is on the Borg cube. I'm betting Jean-Luc and Bev will make an emotional appeal to Jack who will overpower the Borg Queen and return everything to normal. And they'll be one big happy family and fleet once again. I think the only question is if my earlier prediction comes true and Jack comes back and becomes part of the Starfleet that he hates, or if he's going to wind up like Gerardi and become another person from this cast who takes over as the head of the Borg. (laughs) The boy who would be Borg Queen. Wait, that's not what I wanted to say. The boy. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's exactly what you wanted to say. That is probably what I wanted to say because I want Jack to be queer. I I think Jack's going to survive this. I think that it would be foolhardy for Paramount not to be considering a spinoff with Jack Crusher. This week's Mando starts with one of the most ridiculous images I've ever seen on this show. A clandestine meeting with a very obvious 10-foot-tall Imperial probe droid. Well, Moff Gideon is back, so that's a win. And... So are his plans to resurrect the Empire. Long live the Empire. Gave me mirror universe vibes. And that opening sequence proves that even when it's a hologram, Zoom meetings suck. (laughs) And okay, so once again, we have this cabal of Imperials who can't get their shit together. Government just does not work in Star Wars unless it's a murder cult or an independent trading post, which... Come to think of it, is why the Empire remnants want those two things out of the way so badly. They're the only viable functional governments. But what about direct democracy, Ryan? <laughs> Even that doesn't work in Star Wars. But the one thing I've noticed about Gideon's plan to take Mandalore for the Empire, it's a case of cultural appropriation because the Empire has no culture of its own. It's a small tidbit of social commentary lost in the pew pew of it all and i'm not too sure the mandalorian will ever explore it further that's a really good point because moff gideon actually even dresses himself up as a mandalorian he didn't just use the beskar he's got his own mandalorian helmet on now in that imperial zoom meeting we got to talk about thrawn this week which i'm imagining plays into the new ashoka show I really wish Mando would stay an Adventure of the Week show instead of something that needs to remind us that it's part of a wider universe and also dwells on Mandalore society. I understand less and less the more they flesh it out. I agree that I prefer the Adventure of the Week format that the first two seasons of Mando had. And in a way, it's admirable that they have three storylines that are all converging into this finale. But yeah, I think we're going to get more and more of the weaving into the larger Star Wars tapestry, especially now that Dave Filoni has been announced as doing a Star Wars film that will basically take everything from Mando, Ashoka, 
and whatever other shows he's worked on and kind of bring them together. So I think we're going to see just more and more of the interweaving of these characters into the larger Star Wars universe. Or maybe just maybe Mando will be done once he has Mandalore up and running again and will just go off and adventure on his own. I know for sure that I really, really preferred the Band of Brothers theme in the second season of Mando to him hanging out with these really personalityless, faceless group of folks. Um, it's really cool when you've got one guy with no face who refuses to take his helmet off. But yeah. when the whole cast is that, it's just, I don't know, what am I looking at? Nobody's emoting. I can't see anybody's reactions. It's just not cool when it's the entire cast doing it. And now we even have the baddies in masks and helmets. So it looks like neither of my premises for the season have panned out at all. Uh, Din will most likely still be a true believer at the end of next week's finale. Bo-Katan wasn't radicalized. She just accepted who she is. Neither of these characters grew at all this year. And the Mandalorians are still a bunch of confusing goofballs who populated entire cities while all being mercenaries who wear armor 24 hours a day. The Mandalorian would have been so much more interesting if they had been an elite order like the Jedi instead of a species with their own planet where only they lived. My favorite part, though, is Grogu's new IG-12 ride. Yes, 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 yes. I loved how he was so obstinate with his dad. No, 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 no. Yes, yes, yes. It's kind of like the bit in Tron. Yes! Yeah! <laughs> Same kind of humor there. <laughs> and also a Disney property. <laughs> the mouse owns everything. Yes. I love how Grogu stopped the pointless fight between Paz Vizla and Axe Woes. Although, I, I've been saying it all through this episode. I still get silly. We are Klingons from that entire sequence again. It just it, it just reminded me of those uh, episodes of TNG where they would go into the Klingon homeworld and Worf would see other Klingons and they're just acting a fool for no good reason other than my honor has been dishonored. Yeah, and those usually are my least favorite episodes of the season. Yeah, seasons. mine too. I don't understand how you can run a society or a government when everybody's constantly punching and stabbing each other. But I agree with you. I love Gundam Yoda. Grogu may be the only character this season with some development. He's acting more independently and asserting himself more. However, this was some dark and gruesome ending. I'm not really sad to see Jesse the Mando Ventura go. But, <laughs> but he bit it in the most disturbing way. Up close, personal, slow stabbing. Ugh. But with... Both Picard and Mandalorian ending this week, we're in for a back-to-back -back wallop of big sci-fi action. Yes, indeed. This week, I'm fanning over my new USS Titan Navy-inspired ball cap. It's like the ones my dad wore in the service that had a stitched silhouette of the ship, its name, and registry number. They're made by Brandon Klayla, a former Walt Disney Imagineer, who helped decorate my favorite 
Disney attraction, the Tiki Bar Trader Sam's. He originally made him for his buddy, Todd Stashwick, a.k.a. Captain Liam No Shaw. And I just ordered the Enterprise D Navy ball cap, which dropped today. If you want some of this drip, you can find it at TraderBrandon.com. I may go check that out, actually. That sounds good. Because yeah, I am a fan of hats. Yes, yes. It's a great hat. Now, on my end, I have a special treat. My daughter, Audrey, and I will be fanning out together over Shadow and Bone, a show whose second season just landed on Netflix. Hey, Audrey. It's good to see you. Hey, Ryan. Shadow and Bone is a fantasy adventure show set in a steampunk universe based on 19th century Russia. The plot involves a young heroine who finds she has the power to bring down the fold, a mysterious wall of darkness that separates one part of the globe from another. So kiddo, we watched the first season together when it came out two years ago and have been anxiously awaiting this follow-up. What did you think of it now that we've finished binging it? I really like that every character has time in the spotlight. Even the background characters get to shine at one point and they have their own storylines. Um... I really like the Crow storylines because they have the best compatibility with one another and I think they always get up to the best adventures and I always enjoy watching them. Um, I like the romance. I think sometimes it can feel a bit forced, but I do enjoy that it gives us a break from all the action. Yeah, I like the romance too. Uh, The show is very steamy, but in a PG-13 kind of way, which is my favorite kind of steaminess. And it's also very gay. The most prominent and affectionate coupling is two guys. It's funny you mention that because I think that Nina gives off lesbian energy. And I think the guy that they paired her up with, Mateus, is kind of a doofus. And they're not, they're not very compatible. I don't, like, I don't see the romance there. And I think she could do way better. Who would you uh, pair her off with? I would pair her up with Inej, if I'm going to be totally honest. I can see that. One thing I've noticed about genre shows marketed to young people, uh, like this one or Willow or Sabrina the Teenage Witch, is that they are unapologetically queer. Shows that are trying to appeal to legacy fans like Star Trek or Star Wars are more cagey and barely even have subtext anymore. I think you guys are better than us olds. Yeah, as a person who's part of the queer community, it's really nice to see myself reflected in these types of shows. So do you have a favorite character? Mm, Inej is definitely my favorite character because she's just so badass and I have a little bit of a crush on her. Also, Jasper and Wylan are so adorable and I get so happy whenever they're in a scene together. Yeah, uh, Jasper is definitely um, my favorite character. And I also really like Alina a lot. I think uh, she's gone through a lot and the actress um, Jessie May Lee is just great. She's sort of the perfect heroine starting off in the world uneasy and unsure of herself, but quickly growing into her powers. She's definitely a force to be reckoned with. And by the end where she is staring down the antagonist of the show, I completely believe that she can take him. So that's Shadow and Bone. It's in its second season and it is currently streaming on Netflix. Slay! That's it for this week. I'm Ryan Riddle, a jerk. And I'm Mark Farinas, also a jerk. Our music you wish was your theme song is by Fluffy. You can find all her work at sockpuppet.us. And you can find me at Trek Comic on Twitter. And I'm Ryan T. Riddle on Twitter. 
Did you hear something you agreed with or disagreed with or just want to give us a hail? You can find the podcast on Twitter too, at Shipful of Jerks. So is that what's next for us? Making YouTube videos? Oh no, nobody wants to see us. Ha 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 